What makes a proper villain? Close your eyes and think. Is it the nefarious plans, the unlimited resources, or the downright evil in their minds? On this podcast, we're going to take you through our favorite proper villains, through books, nonfiction, spies, and more. Now sit back, relax, and let's get villainous. Welcome back to Proper Villains and Happy Halloween. This is Robin Englehart Bagley, and today is one of my favorite days of the year. And I'm Caitlin Bagley, and Happy Halloween! So and you this is a Halloween lover. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. How could I not? So, but I have uh, my my Raven gloves are on because this special episode. Who are we talking about? Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. Yes. Edgar Allan Poe, author of many short horror stories, a lot of poetry. Of course, The Raven is is a big one. And I did share a YouTube recording or video of Vincent Price reciting The Raven uh, on our Facebook page yesterday. So you can check that out if you want to hear it in its entirety uh, by a master of horror himself. I haven't listened to it yet. And I really, I'm excited. Yeah, you need to. It's so creepy. And and they don't just do it. It's not like he's just standing there reading it. Of course, there's the video. He's like walking around. He's got on this like long dressing gown. There's candlelight. There's thunder. There's a thunderstorm going on. It's very atmospheric. Uh, you know, Vincent Price never did anything by half. So no. <laughs> it's, it's actually the, the video quality is not terrific, uh, but the sound quality is very good. So yeah, check that out. No one does it better than Vincent Price. But first, before we get into his works, we're going to talk a little bit about Edgar Allan Poe, probably one of the most famous American writers, I would say it's kind of everyone's heard of him, even if they haven't read his stuff. But I mean, most of us have, have read at least a couple of stories. I mean, a prolific American author, I had at least two high school English classes where we had a post section. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I read him in high school. I think we read The Telltale Heart perhaps in high school. Um, I know I read The Cask of Amontillado, The Mask of the Red Death, and The Fall of the House of Usher in high school. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if you've gone through, you know, most high school English classes probably still teach him, but uh, he was born in 1809 and died in 1849. So he was only 40 when he died. So his life was quite short. And his death is a pretty famous mystery. Um, like we were discussing before recording, no one truly knows how Poe died. Right. His, his cause of death has never been determined. And it, I think even his death certificate perhaps was lost. So I don't even think that exists anymore. He was missing for what, three days before he died. Yeah. And just kind of showed up in Baltimore where he, where his grave is, you can visit the grave there. And he was like raving mad in the streets and, you know, they took him into a hospital. He died. He never really made any sense. He was never able to tell people where he was or what he was doing. And he was wearing clothes that weren't his. So really there's, and it's, you know, I mean, it's been 174 years ago, so it's not likely to ever be solved. 
person. Right. And I mean, some people report that he was praying for his soul when he died. So based on also his addiction and substance abuse history, it's possible that he was overdosing, but like we said, we'll probably never know. Right. Yeah. And he suffered from alcoholism uh, for many years. He also possibly was addicted to gambling because he, he had a lot of gambling debt problem that plagued him throughout his adult life. He was actually uh, expelled from West Point for his prolific gambling problems. Yeah. And I, I don't understand why he even went to West Point because uh, obviously he was not suited for military life because he was already writing by then, wanted to be a poet. Oh, I'm going to go to West Point because that makes sense. No, I think it was father says I'm going to West Point, yeah. I think. Is or, or stepfather, because actually he was he was born in Boston and his mother died when he was very young and his dad just left. His dad abandoned him and he was raised by foster parents in Richmond, Virginia. So. Oh, I actually never knew that. Yeah. So that's why he's, you know, he was born in Boston, but he's raised in uh, the South. And that's why, you know, another, another problem, uh, you know, he was, uh, this is of course, prior to the civil war and he was uh, pro-slavery. Um, he definitely uh, was racist um, as, as many whites living in the South were back then uh, still a problem we have today all over this country. Uh, so we do want to acknowledge that Poe, um, is not a perfect person. He's very problematic. And uh, we acknowledge that. But also we feel that his art has transcended him as a person. And right. his work his work is bigger than he is now. Right. I mean, a lot of his art was the pain and suffering of the human existence, which, I mean, doesn't matter who you are, what you everyone goes through that. And like you said, it really transcends his issues. It's everyone's issues. Right. Um, if you hear ghostly footsteps in this episode, that is my husband walking in the room above me upstairs. So not, not some sort of creepy sound effect, you know, it's, it's wooden floors in this house. And so if you hear footsteps, that's why <laughs> also bones bones is in here recording with me today. Uh, so you might hear dog snoring. However, I do think she's over the hiccups that she had about 15 minutes ago. Ghostly dog snoring, footsteps in the attic. You've got it all. I do. I, I have it all. Um, so uh, I also want to acknowledge, I did a little research on Poe just to refresh my memory on his life. Um, so uh, sources for that were from NPR, Wikipedia, of course, because it can be problematic, but it's also handy. And then the Southeastern Louisiana University, there was a paper written and published by a John Adam Shelton on Poe and race, uh, which was very helpful. And it was like for a, a American literature class in college. So pretty That's helpful. Awesome. He, yeah. He talked about how the, the most overtly, the one, the one work that you really see race um, addressed never directly, but at least, you know, obliquely, uh, was, uh, murders of the Ru murders of the room morgue. I never liked that one. That's no, and I we're not, never get. yeah, we're not talking about that one today though. I will mention it is, it is sometimes referred to as the first detective novel. I challenge that. I would say maybe it is the first American detective story, but, uh, Caroline Crampton with the, she done it podcast 
uh, delved deeply into where did, you know, detective fiction come from. And she, she runs a specialty podcast on the golden native golden age of mystery. And she says that, um, you know, she, you should listen to that episode, but she goes way back. People have been writing like stories about crime for many centuries. That was a fascinating episode. So I'm going to say Poe does not get credit for the very first detective story, but perhaps the first American detective story. I just still, that one made no sense to me. That yeah, one it, was weird. And it wasn't fair play. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, like the golden age of mystery. They were fair play. You get to solve along with the detective. And that one does not fit the bill because how it, what cracks the case open is something that you, the reader would never know. So no, it doesn't count. Um, and then I guess the last iffy thing about Poe that comes to mind is that he married his teenage cousin. Yeah, she was Which 13. I guess was, it was more okay back then, but it's not at 13. Not at 13. No. <laughs> meant the cousin part, not the age. <laughs> yeah, the cousin part, you know, in, in the mid, you know, this would have been 1836, I think they were married. Um, but yeah, not your not, 13 year old. Not 13. No, 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 no. But that, was it his actual was cousin then if he was raised? Yes, in- I believe it was his actual cousin. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say, because if he wasn't raised by his parents was, but he still knew who his family was, you know? Okay. So, and then, and then she died of tuberculosis 11 years later. And then he really went off the rails after that. So he was never on the rails just to be frank. He went way off the rails then. So the rails were gone. (laughs) Yeah. I I, was missing (laughs) fire. Just totally derailed. But our first one is going to be the cask of Amontillado. And I am saying Amontillado because that would be uh, the, the Spanish pronunciation where two L's make a Y. Some people say it would be Amontillado. It's like, well, no, not if you're pronouncing it correctly. So I, <laughs> I don't care what other people say. If you say Amontillado, you're wrong. So, so. At least never heard it said Amontillado, just to be frank. No, but but some people like, well, you know, he he was American. That's how he meant to pronounce it. We don't know that. You know, this was published in 1846. So we have no way of knowing how he would have pronounced it, but it is Amontillado. And of course, that is a very special liquor. I mean, it's uh, made in Spain and Portugal. And um, this, I always say I have a cask of Amontillado basement in, in my house. We have a stone foundation. The basement is, um, you can see the stone foundation and it's unfinished. So it would make a terrific wine cellar. So that's how I refer to my basement. But this story is, it's a revenge story. And we have our, our narrator is Montresor. And he really hates this guy named Fortunato. So he decides <laughs> to get, great. yes, I know. And he decides to get his revenge upon him. And he decides to do that um, by luring him to his house that Fortunato was a bit of a wine guy. Yeah, he Definitely a wine snob. And so he lures him there with this promise of, oh, I bought this and, and I'm not sure if I got taken. I'm not sure if it's the real thing. You know, maybe you could come check it out. And, and of course, Fortunato jumps at the opportunity. 
So they then go down into the cellar. And not just the cellar, but like the tombs. This is, this is, I think it's set in Italy. It seems to me to be, and there are actually like tombs and vaults and bones under the house. Which Fortunato's an idiot because, oh, I just bought this cask. Come check it out for me. Oh, it's at the bottom of the bottom of my wine cellar where there's bones. No, it right. wouldn't be down all the way down there. You're yeah. gonna die. <laughs> and and it's moldy, you know, it's it's underground. So there's all this white, you know, the bad air is very bad. There's this white stuff growing on all the walls, which would be very typical. Um, Fortunato also has a cold, so he's coughing and his cough is getting worse. And then they finally get to the bottom, and it's it's and you know. Honestly, these stories have been around for over 150 years, so almost 200 years. So, you know, I, I'm sorry if you don't know how these end, but obviously, you know, he lures him down there and it's, oh, we're it's spoiling. In this, <laughs> we're spoiling. We're spoiling. It's in this little, that's in this little space. And he's like wandering around. He can't see anything. And he, oh, that's Hannah Barkin. <laughs> that's my dog. <laughs> I guess we've scared. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, she's saying, stop talking about this scary stuff. But Montresor lures him in there. He already had uh, shackles built into the wall, and he walls him up alive. So, very grisly. And he leaves him there. <laughs> he leaves him there. And he's writing about, yeah, he's been undisturbed for half a century. So it's like 50 years ago I did this. So, you know. Yeah. So that one, that one is, that one's one of my favorites actually. And it's one of your favorites. Mm -hmm. Have a cellar basement. Dad ever goes missing. I'm, I know where he is. <laughs> my, my basement's very small. So it'd be, you know, it'd be really hard to hide a person in there. All right. Well, the second one I think is one of your favorites because it's the mask of the red death. This is my favorite. This one is from 1842. Um, and this one, there's debate on whether or not the Red Death itself is tuberculosis or if it's the plague. But it casts the scene. The commoners are dying in the streets uh, from the Red Death. It makes you bleed out. But all the rich people in town, I think this one's also supposed to be set in Italy. Yeah, it's, not, it's Prince Prospero, and they never really yeah. say where, but yeah, you but get the Prince idea. Prince Prospero, I've, I always got the Italy vibes from this one, Yeah, um, is holding a grand masquerade in his castle, home, villa, where all the rich people are hiding and waiting out the disease. Because for months, they've been there for yeah. months. So. Yeah, they're just partying until everyone's dead and the disease is gone. Mm -hmm. And this specter arrives and they kind of inform you this isn't a person you can't really see a body under the cloak mm -hmm. and the mask because this is a masquerade is a skull right and prospero freaks out and this specter is chasing prospero through his home and you see all these various rooms that get described and I mean, this one is very short. <laughs> yes, it's very short. It ends with Prospero dying in the final room, bleeding out from the Red Death, because death has come to the party. 
Right. And then, of course, all the other, I mean, everyone that's been there at the ball, they all start to drop. I mean, they're yes. just dropping like flies. So it's going to kill everybody in there. So they, they ultimately were not able, you know, to hide from it. So I don't know if you want to read this post-COVID or not. But, um, I haven't read it post-COVID, but um, I really I mean, some of the people that just like Kim Kardashian's birthday party on an island gave me vibes of this story <laughs> where it's like, you can afford to just leave and yeah. not deal with this. Yeah. So this is definitely also a story of the classes. Mm-hmm. People were dying in the streets and instead of um, the rich trying to help and trying to figure out what's going on. They just, we're going to throw a party for months while you all die because you all have to die for this disease to go away. And they, they build these massive walls around the castle and there's big iron gates. I mean, they go to great lengths to fortify it against the plague, but you know what? You cannot keep the plague out that way. Right. You can't outrun death and you can't outrun a disease. Nope. So, yeah. So whether or not you're up for that one right now, you might want to wait a couple of years. I don't know. So the fall of the house of Usher is the one we're going to tackle next. This one's a little bit longer. It's definitely longer than mask of the red Dust by quite a bit. Oh yeah. This came out in 1839. It is the oldest of his works that we'll talk about today. And mm -hmm. the youngest technically, because no, the oldest, no, 39. Oh, 39. I heard yeah. 49. No, it was, it was the, it's the oldest. So it was the first published among the works we're talking about today. And this one is just so awful. Um, our, our narrator, and I always pictured this one in England. He never really says where, but I always, I always picture yeah. this one in England. So, and, uh, it's very melancholy as our narrator is approaching the house of Usher, which is the house. I mean, the house of Usher refers to both the family, the family of Usher and the actual you know, brick and mortar of the house. And it's very Gothic and it's, um, you know, you have this big house kind of on the moors. It's very gloomy and melancholy and and he approaches it and he just kind of gets filled with dread and despair as he approaches this house. But Roderick Usher is a friend of his and he's been summoned. He wants to go see him. His friend needs him and he arrives and he's shocked at how terrible Roderick looks. He looks like he is very ill, but the sister is ill. Madeline is also there and she is very ill. Right. And they hang around uh, the house being incredibly gloomy, melancholy, morbid for a mm-hmm. while. And then Madeline succumbs to her illness. Right. And she's buried well, on the know, grounds. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, in, in the, in the family crypt, I I've always pictured being under the house. Yeah. Same. The fa- the family crypt under the house. And then, then they start to hear things and scratch, scratch, scratching scratch. and banging. And it, and it lasts for weeks. Mm-hmm. They hear all of this noise and it gets worse. And Roderick is getting worse every day. He's looking more terrible every day. And then we are getting near the end and he's just, 
losing his mind. And he's he screams at our narrator, you know, that we we buried her. We buried her in her coffin alive. And she's been alive this whole time. And then he says, I knew it when I first, you know, I could hear the sounds from in the coffin. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he knew he knew all this time that he had buried his sister alive. But then guess what? She gets out. She's not happy. No. And he's like, she's right on the other side of the door. Um, And she is. And she's uh, very upset. Um, Basically. Understandably. (laughs) Understandably. And the narrator basically just gets out of Dodge. She is just like, I am gone. And, um, you know, the sister then of course dies. Um, it's this terrible scene at the end. He races from the house, grabs his horse, starts riding away and the house of Usher. So you could think of the literal house as well as the family, um, literally cracks and collapses on itself and falls into the lake. (laughs) and so it's it's over it's gone and they were the only families that they had no they had no cousins they were the last of their line there's nobody left and they've been kind of a cursed family and now they are gone yeah it's very dramatic that one always gives me chills (laughs) i mean just the sound the whole time when you start hearing more and more of the sounds it's it's very unnerving and then the last i mean the last few paragraphs of this are great though because he's just like oh my god i have got to leave and and then the the description of how the house literally falls apart is is quite fantastic so yep because you can also like you said it's also the family line falling mm-hmm. apart and, yep. and then, disappearing forever and then the last one is uh, the last story is the telltale heart which was published in 1843. This one, I think, is history book-wise is one of the most famous for Mm -hmm. Poe because this is the one everyone, I mean, of course, The Raven, but this one is just the the setup, I guess, is interesting. And this is really one of, I think, in Poe's mind of the man gone crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think this is, probably a lot of people's it's the very first one you read i mean often yeah. it's it's kind of the one that's in the english books it's one of the very first ones you read it's very short and it's it's very much in in common culture pop culture i mean the telltale heart you know we hear that mm-hmm. all the time and you know we have you know it's it's pretty simple setup we have a guy who kills his neighbor right yeah the um, old man you yeah know. kills the old man Starts, buries the old man under the floorboards. Yep. As you do, as you do, as you do. And starts living in his house. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's the guilt or. Yeah. And knowing he's under the floor, Mm -hmm. he starts hearing his, the man's heartbeat in the walls. And it gets louder and louder and louder. And just starts driving him crazy. Yep. Starts driving him crazy. And people come to the house and he, he expects them to hear it. I mean, he really thinks it's so loud. They can hear it, but of course no one else can hear anything. Mm -hmm. And, and finally it drives him crazy and he confesses to the murder. Right. (laughs) It's a little bit, um, you know, not 
I mean, obviously, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky is a very long book. Well, actually, a short book for Russian literature, but much longer than this. It's kind of the same thing, driven bad by guilt, uh, though not in quite such a you know dramatic matter. Yeah, like one page climax, confess. Yeah. <laughs> very short. Uh, so yeah, these are great short stories if you're looking for something kind of creepy to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite Poe piece is, of course, The Raven, which is a poem, not a short story. It's the only one of this list that's a poem. Yes, it is. He wrote a lot of poetry. I mean, just gobs of it. Um, I am not a big poetry fan, and The Raven is really the only one that I like. He wrote one. Tamerlane might have been like one of the first ones he wrote. Um, that's also very famous for, it, it shows up in a lot of books about books, like a, a missing printing of Tamerlane. Uh, it's kind of a big deal because I, I think there weren't a lot out there. Um, but this is the one that I like the best. It was uh, published in 1845. And we just have a guy who's hanging around in his house at night reading, as a lot of us do. And he starts hearing a tapping and it keeps tapping and it won't stop tapping. And he starts, well, there's someone at my door and there's nobody there. And finally he realizes it's coming from the window. And, you know, so then he's a little freaked out because, you know, he's of course paranoid because, you know, well, this is Poe. So of course he's paranoid. And I just want to read a bit from this because it kind of shows you how, you know, how freaked out he got about a bird, um, but the bird doesn't leave. <laughs> so birds are terrifying. Just okay. Yes. You would be much more scared of a bird coming into your house. Well, I mean, I don't want a bird in my house, like pooping all over everything. So I'd be terrified if a bird I'm, came in my yeah, house. But I am not scared of birds. So let's see. I'm trying to find the spot that I wanted to read. And uh, open here, I flung the shutter whom when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. So the bird flies in, sits on it like a statue, and sits there and stares at him. And he is just freaking out. Understandably. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. By the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, Art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on this night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Nevermore. And that's all the raven ever says. Well, he also says Lenore, but, you know, he's he's stays there and it kind of drives the author crazy because this raven just sits there and he won't leave. He doesn't eat. So obviously he is an otherworldly raven. And yeah, it is delightfully creepy. And you start wondering, well, 
is this guy out of his mind? And of course, he's very upset over the death of Lenore, um, whom he loved. And you wonder if that has driven him crazy. So, But then he starts asking the bird, am I ever going to see Lenore again? And of course, the bird, nevermore. Nevermore. Yeah. which drives him even more crazy. Yep. So it's, it really is. And really listen to Vincent Price because it's so wonderfully creepy to hear him recite it. So, well, I think that kind of wraps up our Poe discussion and I think so. perfect, perfect for this Halloween day. This is going to be our last episode for a while. We are going to take November off and we will be back December 2nd with season two of proper villains. If there are villains you want us to look up while we're on break, please send us a DM. We're on Instagram and Facebook. We have an email as well. You can also, if there's Christmas villains we need to look into, please let us know. Yes. Yes. Cause you know, Christmas is a good time for villains and uh, yeah, our Facebook and Instagram are both Proper Villains Books. Uh, you can also email us at propervillainsbooks at gmail.com. And please, please remember uh, to like and share us on Apple Podcasts. Um, it helps people find us so that season two, we can reach even more people with our villainy. And we will keep our social media accounts active uh, while we are on this break. So keep an yep. eye on those. We'll also be dropping more bad blood minisodes as the Theranos trial pro- progresses. Yes, so you won't be without us for a month. Right. So, you know, keep an eye on us because, you know, we may pop in with a special episode here and there about Elizabeth Holmes, who is still a villain. Yes. <laughs> that hasn't changed. Happy Halloween, everyone. See you soon.